Yo, welcome to Peace of No Mind. My name is Raymond Tanner and this is the podcast where I'll be interviewing amazing individuals as I find out what a peace of mind means to them and some of the valuable lessons they've learned throughout their journey. Each episode has been recorded at a different stage throughout lockdown, pandemic, just overall COVID living. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit me up, subscribe, send it to a colleague, send it to a friend, just send it on and follow me on socials at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. Anywho, it's been a minute. So I'd like to introduce man like Doc Brown on, um, aka Ben Bailey Smith. We're talking rapper, comedian, actor, screenwriter, radio presenter, voiceover <laughs> artist. The way I see it is like, um, you know, I'm a writer and performer and without versatility in the modern world of entertainment, I think it's very easy to either disappear into irrelevance or to not earn enough money to live off of um, or to get bored. And I think all three of those things I've, I've been at risk of, you know, when I was a, a rapper, that was all I was doing. I was rapping and, and, you know, I was working part time as a youth worker. I never really felt like I was making the impact that I, I felt I could make as, as a rapper. And then through a, a series of, strange events not really a, any plan of mine you know i diversified into into stand-up comedy and used all the skills that i had from rap to do it yeah but you know? this is the actual thing it's like all of these titles it's not even like you're mediocre at all of these it's like when you were in different like avenues it was like yo you were like performing at a high caliber bro like mm. it weren't even like one of those where oh yeah i just dabble in and i'm I touch <laughs> my my toes in this one here and it's like no bro you were actually like reputable people respected it for me it's 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 definitely never been about being a jack of all trades it's, it's been about looking at things that I enjoy and thinking, you know what, I can add something to that, you know, with what I do and how I approach things. So I've got into each one being really, really serious about, if not being the best, just being as professional and as acceptable and as entertaining as, as I feel I can be. And I also, I despite when you reel off the long list of things that I do, <laughs> I do, I do respect my boundaries. I do, I do actually stay in the lanes that I know I can stay in. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna start trying to do opera singing. I'm not gonna try and do <laughs> tap dancing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, there's, there's lots of elements of entertainment where I just think, no, nah, I'm, I'm no good at that. This isn't know? it. So musicals are, no, but you never know. You could, you could, so would you, would you like, like turn down the role of a rap sort of like sort of film? Well, I was, I was one of the last two for Hamilton in the first round when it came to the UK. So I was, I was very, very, very close to playing Hamilton. And actually, I didn't get it because my singing wasn't strong enough. Um, so the rapping and the acting was fine, but the singing wasn't strong enough. So they gave it to the other guy. I didn't have any Western experience. So I wasn't upset about it at all. And then actually the next day, I remember thinking, you know what, I might have dodged a bullet here because <laughs> you, you know me from what, what you said about the different things I do. You know that I, I get bored easily and I don't think I could just say someone else's lines every twice, day, twice a day sometimes twice a day for years do you know what I mean I, I think I would actually get really depressed I don't think I'd like it at all so um you know at the time it was just like I'm gonna give this everything because this is the biggest show in the world but actually it just because it's the biggest show in the world it sounds really arrogant to say but I'm not being arrogant just because it's the biggest thing in the world it doesn't necessarily mean that you're right for it you know we all want these massive things we don't actually think about what they mean you know is it something that i will enjoy doing because i think one of the most beautiful parts of being an artist is being able to enjoy your work you know to get to a stage in your life where you don't work to live you live to work right and that that that's that's the dream and i think i've always got to be careful and look at what i really enjoy doing 
Yeah, no, 100%. And I think sometimes the vision that you have for yourself isn't always the best vision for you as well. Exactly, it can block yeah. opportunities and other like mad blessings that you wouldn't have mm -hmm. even been able to see as an opportunity because you were so tunnel visioned and focused on this 100%. one goal. But you know what? Before we kind of digress too much, bro, like, welcome to Peace and No Mind, my guy, bro. Like, um, I know this is, like, definitely one of, one of your to-do lists in life. You got it now. <laughs> that is, like, done. Forget Hamilton, bro. You're on Peace and No Mind, bro. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, but, like, how have you just kind of been over these last few weeks? How, 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 how's life been treating you, man? Obviously, it's been surreal. It's been surreal for everybody. And mm. um, the early stages were actually quite scary from a professional and personal point of view because you know I lost a lot of work overnight I lost a lot of money overnight um and you know I I just bought a house so I was like really really panicky about you know personal and professional stuff um but then after a couple of weeks and you start to see the seriousness of the situation and speaking to friends who had way less than me that were made redundant do you know what I mean that I had to move mm. out of their house it's like I looked at my situation and I thought Dude, it could be a lot worse you know mm. and, and and funnily enough at that point where I started to take get it in perspective a little bit more uh I started getting more work like stuff started coming in you know there was a lot of voice work around um I've been writing my novel and a, a, a movie for film four so I've had a lot of writing to do as well and it's actually it's worked out really, really nicely for me. And now I kind of, I'm almost scared of lockdown ending because <laughs> I quite, quite like the life that I've sort of worked out with myself. I just sit in my new house, yeah. writing and recording and, and it's nice. You know, I've even recorded some some new songs. This so is, like, bro, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's definitely something I wanted to kind of tap into a little bit later on. But it's, mm. it's, it's like you said, even this whole period, I think there was, it was people were looking at it from, and I say people, everyone's situation was different. I can't speak for mm. anyone. But mm. when, when you're kind of observing it from a place of lack, like, damn, I've lost A, B, C, man i've lost this it like kind of is hard to see how there could be opportunity that could develop and as soon as i kind of worked out how to adapt and there were a few things that were popping up and you realize that some people are really thriving in this period some companies yeah. and it's oh, not, yeah, yeah. not everyone's like at an odd um, or at a loss really so what what that tells you is two things number one human beings are at the top of the food chain for a reason we're the most adaptable animal on the planet we mm. just find a way to work stuff out even in really really desperate situations life and death situations mm. we're in a way that other animals just can't and that's what makes us amazing but it's also kind of what makes us evil yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? so there'll be some people who will be like they would have seen the news <laughs> and they're like and yes. gone, oh my god look, all these old people are dying brilliant brilliant like what can i do what can i oh, i know you know what i'm gonna get my coffin business like rocking and my face mask business is going to start it's popping, popping off. off. A lot of people look at it like that. And mm. the rest of us, we just work out, we use our intelligence to work out how to survive. Yeah. You know? No, but I'm glad to hear that it's, um, things are piecing together. And definitely we can work out some of the stuff that you probably are working on now. But um, as I ask all the guests who come on Peace and No Mind, because you're on Peace and No Mind, my bro. You're on Peace and No Mind. Um, I ask all the guests who come on, what does a peace of mind mean to you and how is it best achieved? Oh, yes. I mean, it's a great question. Um, for me, uh, life is, is, uh, is a constant kind of search for serenity, you know? So when I think of, of peace of mind, I think, I think of that word, you know? And it's, it's not something that you can have 24 hours a day because life is, is stressful and is challenging. Um, and, and, and as humans, we're, we're impatient and we're changeable in our, in our mood. But serenity, that moment of calm where things become clear, that moment of sobriety, and, and you can start to actually assess your own feelings rather than avoid them, because that's what we do a lot of the time. We just avoid how we really feel. We just pack our lives with stuff, with work and with relationships and with money and with uh, food and drugs and alcohol whatever it might be we're constantly filling our lives with stuff partly because we don't really want to assess our feelings and ask ourselves the big big questions about our lives and how we how we really feel and, and re react and respond to stuff so serenity really helps us do that and um, 
when I think of peace of mind, serenity is the word that comes to to mind. You know, um, peace of no mind is uh, is a concept that you'll have to explain to me. I'm interested by the name of your. Um, and yeah no that's definitely it's it's the the idea and i think you've you've kind of woven it together with the term serenity and that to actually have a peace of mind is somewhat unachievable because for the mind to truly be at peace it needs to be in a state of no mind but that doesn't mean that that is the way for everyone and i think what makes it really interesting is like that same question you can ask so many different types of people and it almost seeing where they where they kind of hone and where they focus that light shows what where, what they value about life. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's really interesting because you know some people might look at it as an external thing. Some people look at it internally. Um, some people look at it as like a close unit, community based, like family orientated. And sure. some people look at it as an achievement based thing. So I think it's really interesting when you when you when you kind of pr- position that because. I even think that response changes at different stages of your yeah, life. Yeah, a hundred percent it does. And I, I think as you, as just when you were speaking, now I was thinking about the concept of of aging because when I was younger, I definitely would have looked to externals to bring me serenity without even really understanding why. You know, mm. to me, contentment was achieving all the things that I felt needed to be achieved to uh, a, attain that kind of nirvana and. Um, as I've got older, I've realized that none of it's true. So when I was younger, I thought, oh, if I get this job or if I become famous or if I make this money or if I get this house, if I marry this woman, if I do this, if I do that, then I'll achieve this, you know, never ending state of happiness. Mm. Um, I've achieved all of those things. That's, yeah, that's and, I've, right. I, and at times I've never been more uh, um, discontent, you know. So um, as you get older, you start to realize, oh shit okay it's actually as cheesy as it sounds it is about the journey it's about finding contentment like when when contentment's around you jump on it and enjoy it enjoy that moment of peace and know that it will pass tomorrow it could be a really shit day for you man um or or even more importantly it could be a really shit day for someone else and if you can start to build your empathy not just for uh, yourself but other people and the the natural world which is growing and changing all the time no matter what you do you start to realize oh I'm not the star of this massive movie about me I'm just a, another person on this 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 globe you know uh, and I'm significant but I'm not massively significant so it's it's a case of you start to understand like there's nothing I can do to change the world. All I can do is change how I am in the world. You know, this idea that you can change everything is kind of part of a, it's part of the problem of the ego thinking how amazing you are. You know, it's actually, it's little things that you could do that can have a big impact on yourself and the people around you. And then it's like a, a, a trickle down. You know, if you're, if you're good, if you're a good person to 10 people, they might be inspired to be a good person to 10 people each. And then it spreads like that, you know? Um, so yeah, for me, I found the secret is, all oh, right, you know what? I feel good today. So I'm not going to worry about what's going to go wrong tomorrow or um, am I going to feel this good for the rest of the week? Or I'm just going to enjoy this now. And then tomorrow we'll start all over again and hope for the best again, you know? So it's actually like there's a lot of focus on actually being and living in that present moment. Yeah, 100%. I spent a lot of time looking back and I spent even more time looking forward and very, very little time going, actually, maybe now is is fine. Now is fine. So why not enjoy now? There was a video that I watched that was like you you in Northwest. So it was like Doc Brown in Northwest. Um, And then can't you remember doing it? He's like, okay, did I record this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mate, I've done so many things. So it was like uni lads and you were talking. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember. You were talking about um, being at a concert or people being at a concert and the idea that that people are recording something, but they're not actually there and visually actually in the moment or mm. seeing their favorite artists. It's like mm. they're recording it through an actual phone when in reality they're losing out on the biggest picture, which is in HD and it's a different sort of imprint in their memory. So mm. that kind of like ties back into um, some of the stuff you were just saying along the lines of being in those moments where 
we're we're, we're kind of always looking forward or back to either preserve that memory mm-hmm. it's like yo were you even in that memory like yeah it's like they say online you know if it, if it, if it isn't on the gram then then did it really happen exist. yeah yeah you know and they, they that's often said with irony but i think deep down a lot of people believe that man you know they they a lot of people believe like oh well i mean i've just had this amazing day but if i don't share it with all these strangers <laughs> It's not going to feel as cool, and I'm not going to feel as validated. And uh, you know, we're we're desperate to let people know that our lives have exciting things going on in them. You know, and that we're functioning. We're not. We're not. We're not losing. We're not. We're doing as well as anyone else, or if not better. Yes, and that humble brag is always apparent. You always see it in in everybody's posts. You know. But bro, Doc. So obviously, bro, you're from Northwest um, mm. Kilburn. Yeah, so far, I guess for the listeners that are not from London, this is it's an it's an area in the northwest part of the city. So, uh, you know, if you're not from London, you would have you would have heard of Camden. It's not a million miles away from there. Um, but yeah, I grew up uh, initially in Kilburn on on, on Wilson Lane um, near the um, the old cinema, the Odeon, and the uh, uh, the cemetery, Paddington Cemetery. And then uh, moved further up to Wilsdon, um, just off Wilsdon High Road. Uh, and I was there till I was about 20 and I moved out, um, um, moved to Hackney. And I've been in Hackney ever since until I just bought this house um, so back in Northwest. So I'm back where I started. Whereabouts, without giving too much like detail, like what door number, bro? <laughs> what street name? Let us know, let us come. It's um, a nicer street than my old street. I'll put it like that. <laughs> Um, and there, there were like even moments like again when I was watching this Unilad video, like you were saying some iconic things about the area. So you 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 see a lot of characters growing up on the high street, mm. and like I've tried to explain it to people before who aren't from Kilburn, that it's something you have to live and be here to understand the amount of influences and the amount of individuals who are. Um, you highlighted one particular character, Mad Mary. Um, of course, everybody knows, and that's a generational thing. Like it's like yeah. you, Mad Mary, um, but she wasn't alone. There was like no. That's what I mean. Ma- the thing about Kilburn <laughs> High Road is there's a lot of mad people, but they're not they're not mad how like you might think. Like if 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 um if you said to me, oh yes, yeah, this this the same in Hackney, or it's the it's the same it's same in East, or it's the same in South. I say that's maybe, but when I say mad, I'm not talking about these guys who are gonna like pull a knife on you or like you know commit some heinous crime i'm saying like there's an eccentricity to people if you walk the full length of the high road you'll see at least four or five people just talking to themselves the actual individuals like one one in particular who just crossed my my life in the last few weeks was at the peak of pandemic um there's this lady who wears a rice crispy box on her head um, mm-hmm. and cuts out the eyes and she obviously thought that was a good enough substitute for a mask <laughs> So literally, she's rolling on the high street. Like people are recording her. I'm just like, this is this is a Kilburn moment. Like, but you have to live here to know that that is just so natural. Um, and mm-hmm. the only reason why I kind of say that to say this is because obviously you've grown up in Kilburn Northwest, and um, that like there was a lot of stuff around the time, like in terms of like people who were like rapping and doing their thing. And would you say that was what was your introduction into like? Yeah, yeah definitely. Like the, the the there was more of a street culture then. Um, so you would see rappers, you know, like battling or having little ciphers and stuff. You'd see that around, especially in Harlesden, Wilsden, Kilburn. Um, and, and obviously that's that's changed now because a lot of rappers just sort of become rappers in their bedrooms with everything they've got. They Everything they need is, is right there on their computer. But before it was all about like that sort of street community, I guess, like people... Um, going are you into this are you into that because there was no other way of finding out and I think definitely that was that was a huge influence and it it, it's kind of weird now because when I look at all the superstars of 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 British rap it's very hard to find any from northwest of London when did you actually start your proper like ascent into rapping it was I was always interested in it Mm. and I was always into indie music as well so I was like had the little um little band playing covers for a bit when I was about 15 but I was always writing rhymes as well and um, I just didn't really have the confidence to perform them to anyone so I'd just write them down and sometimes memorize them sometimes I would like record them onto onto cassette you know just in my in my bedroom Um, but yeah that was about as serious as it got until I started going to battles Mm -hmm. so 
when I was about 18, I guess, going going to things like Mudlums, I used to have a battle in Camden, the old uh, Dingwalls, I think it's called the highlight yeah. now. Um, What's this about you losing a battle to Sway, bro? Like, Yeah, I lost to Sway. I lost to some good rappers. Um, but uh, yeah, he was phenomenal, man. And he was he was a great... He was a great freestyler. Like he could make stuff up on the spot just brilliantly. He was very, very clever. Well, I say was like he's, <laughs> he's, he's still incredibly clever, man. He's still uh, an amazing rapper and really hyper, hyper intelligent, um, really slick, really fast mind. And so that was obviously pretty intimidating when I came up against him. I'd seen him at another <laughs> battle before that. He actually featured a bit of this on on one of his old mixtapes. Where he says, uh, he says to the other rapper, uh, uh, I'll, "I'll take, I'll, I'll kidnap your whole family and hold them for ransom." Then he goes, "Bitch, you're so ugly, you're handsome." <laughs> <laughs> Rapping against a female comic, uh, rapper, I was like, "That's hilarious." He was that kind of dude, you know. Um, but these were like live battle raps, and like obviously, yeah. It was, yeah. And, and in those days, it had to be actual freestyle as well you had to okay, make you it couldn't up. come with any pre-written yeah if they felt it was pre-written you'd just get disqualified mm -hmm. which seems so strange now doesn't it because you watch a battle now you expect it to be pre-written and, and in a lot of ways that's what makes it better i think because these guys have had time to go away and come up with genius bars for the other guy and i think it's more entertaining like when we were doing it it was maybe scarier there was a bit more of a thrill mm. But uh, it wasn't necessarily always high quality because, <laughs> yeah, you know, off the top of the freestyling, dome. yeah, freestyling is really hard. Mm. These times when you're when you're going to battle rap, was that kind of where you were like, this is what the future is going to look like? I always thought that eventually I would put a record out and that record would, you know, make enough noise that I might be able to broker like a major record deal and 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 live life as an artist that was that was the plan I, I i even when i started battling i was aware of other battle rappers getting pigeonholed as as battle rappers with people who were amazing but couldn't make songs so i was i was always my always thinking about making songs making albums doing proper shows and and, and getting out there that was that was the focus at that time um, but it was so hard, man. I mean, those days, you know, it was more that there was no industry. You know, if you think, like, when I started, like, I was still on the battle scene, um, like, 03, 04, and I, I was just starting to make my first songs. And I think 04, I put out my first mixtape, um, Citizen Smith, it was called. And, and at that time, we had, like... Maybe you could count the stars on one hand, i say. Like So Solid, Dizzy, Roots Maneuver. We only had a handful of stars. The industry still didn't really believe that people rapping in a British accent could ever really be a thing, like a, a major thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So the real issue was less about competition and less about self-belief it was more about do i believe that it's even possible for yeah. it to be something that i can make a living off of so it's like maybe feed children off one day buy a house one day do you know what i mean Re do i really believe that and i think deep deep down a lot of us didn't believe that you know which was why grime was such a breath of fresh air because those those lot came in and just went we don't care <laughs> yeah, we don't care whether you think there's an industry or not we are the industry like we're gonna be the industry because one one very big track is mad world remix and featuring loki like how old is that we're talking that's that's 04 so yeah, that's 04. 16 years old like and still if you flip that today bro there's there's some resonance in that like that is so relevant to kind of a lot of people's mentality and the times we're living in as well you, you what you just bumped into Loki at 16 and were like yo like this is what this is what's going to happen i put him on his first ever record that was his, the first ever thing the Man. first ever thing he ever recorded he was 16 yeah and uh you know i just thought what a precocious teenager this guy i mean this guy like he was just a firebrand. Like you looked in his eyes and he had this determination. And, you know, he became a political rapper really quickly, actually, you know, 
he was he was immediately sort of a socially conscious rapper but he just was so fiercely intelligent and such a big reader and he'd come off the back of his own personal trauma and it just made him so super focused on the concept of justice mm. and um yeah, he's. I mean, the rest is history. He's never left it alone. You know? Was this around the time that you were hosting? Um, because from battle rapping, you started to host as well, right? Yeah, and and I, I and and if you look at my career, it's not none of it's a coincidence in that respect, you know. Because like I was talking about at the start of this, when we talk about transferable skills, on the battle scene, I became known as the guy who was like, it could be quite funny spontaneously, you know. And I was always into sort of killing the tension because a lot of those nights were really aggressive. And so in those days, like kids don't know, man. Kids talk about, oh, it's like in my ends is violent, in my ends is like, it's like that. Bro, in the old days, rap was, it was what it said on the tin. It was violent. Like a, a lot of jams ended in fights or stabbings or, do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it. I'm horrified by it. But that's just the way it was. It was rough. So... For me, I always worked hard to sort of diffuse tension and have a laugh and just smile, you know. Um, so I quite enjoyed being in battles and, and taking the piss out of myself as well as, as, as the people I was battling against. And it sort of made a name for me as that guy, like, oh, you should get Doc to host it because he's like, he's quite funny and he'll just keep everything calm, you know. So I started hosting a lot of rap nights and hosting other battles and stuff like that. And that just led into hosting uh, events at, at my friend's shop in Carnaby Street, which was one of the only black-owned businesses within our small industry. How did that period where you kind of flipped a little bit into more of the comedy scene kind of come about? Well, that, I mean, that was completely unexpected. That was, was that nothing to do with the life? No, no, that was not part of the plan at all. <laughs> so in 2005, through the shop, I met um, Mark Ronson, and, and we sort of hit off and I ended up touring with him. Um, and having that taste of, you know, I mean, we, some of the stages we played, like at best, it was like 50,000 people. Do you bro, know it was mean? like so, Amy, weren't you performing? Yeah, Amy Winehouse. Amy White, bro, you had like, there was some big people you were working with. It was with. legendary, mm. yeah. So getting that little taste of that world, I think had a huge kind of profound effect on me and my desire. And when I came off, working with Ronson in 07, I remember really thinking, I don't, I don't know if I want to go back to, not even just youth work, but like with rap as well. It's just a bit like, it's just not going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, I was definitely thinking about just hanging the mic up and, and like getting, getting a proper job, like a proper job with decent money. Um, so I started making a sort of farewell album um, which I did complete, but I never released it. And the, the reason for that was my whole life changed over the period of, of a month or so. Um, January 2008, I finished, uh, finished the album, um, made my decision not to rap again. Uh, but I also, I, I got this call from a dude that I knew from Radio One. Um, through music again and he'd started working in comedy he'd started writing comedies for the BBC and he'd written this new show for Lenny Henry and he was like I wonder if you could give me a hand with like some of the voices of the um, the younger characters he was like the, the language here is that what they would say is that like is that a street term and I was like all right bro cool like I'll help out as much as I can but it's not really my area of expertise and he was like yeah but you can do it because you understand words and you're from that culture and blah 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 so um I helped him out they paid me 200 pounds to like be a sort of script consultant on this Lenny Henry thing and then they just ended up hiring me as a consultant for the whole series and Lenny Henry started giving me these little walk-on roles like little lines here and there because I could do like different voices and stuff and all of a sudden I was like working in comedy, like, but it wasn't a plan, you know, and it wasn't full time or anything like that. I just did, did it when they needed me. But um, knowing my background, the producers were always saying, you should do stand up, you should do stand up. And I was like, yeah, but like, man, man's not a joke out here. You know what I'm saying? Like, not a clown. <laughs> and uh, 
and they convinced me to come down to this night in Great Portland Street and um, just give it a bash. And I did, and um, I was no good. I didn't prepare anything. I just went up there and improvised because I just treated it like a battle. <laughs> and um, the producer dude who invited me was like, yeah, it's cool, but you need some jokes, man. He was like, come back next month to the same night and actually like write some jokes. So I did that. I came back. This is February 2008. And I wrote some jokes about working with Lenny Henry and being a rapper working for the BBC, blah, blah, blah. It didn't really, no one really laughed. And then, you know, I had like eight minutes or something on stage and I was getting to the end and I thought, well, I can't leave with no reaction. So I just did this thing that rappers used to do back in the day when I was a kid where they do this freestyle games, you know, where they ask you like, what's in your pocket or what's your name, where are you from, rah, 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 and they get it, get it all together and do like a freestyle incorporating all those words, you know? Mm. So I just did that, which is pretty corny. That's like a corny thing to do in rap. But at this comedy thing, they, went it, off. they looked at me like, a, yeah, like it was the second coming of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like people freaked out. And um, and uh, the, the guys that ran the venue were like, oh, you should come and do that improv rap thing. Um, we've got a comedy night um, here on, on Fridays. It's like rowdy. It's proper. You should come down. We'll pay you 50 quid. And I was like, cool. Did that. Another guy came up to me, gave him, gave me his card. And he turned out to be, um, you know, a, a very influential, very, very high profile uh, artist manager who I'm still working with today, 12 years later. Oh, man. Um, wow. Just and I went, I went home that night. Yeah, it was crazy. I went home that night and I thought, there's something in this. And I just Googled comedy competitions because I thought they must have battles like they have in rap. Mm. And sure enough, they did. They had these comedy competitions across the UK and I just... Went so looked for the biggest one. It was called So You Think You're Funny, and the prize was five grand. A nationwide and international talent search thing, and then they give you a date and you go and perform in the first round. And most people just go out in the first or the second round. But mm. I got all the way to the final. It was at the Edinburgh International Festival um, in uh, August of that year. And then it was a wrap because that the final is <laughs> no everyone in the audience's industry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone like from all over the world. So, you know, after that, I started getting bookings. Um, by the middle of 2009, I was already making a healthy living out of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And it normally takes people, you know, four or five years before, you know, they're fully independent and they're making a, a, a living wage, you know, that you can live off or feed your family off. What do you think it was that kind of, do you think they, they hadn't heard and there wasn't anyone else? Yeah, that they that's what it was. People say, oh, you were, like, you were amazing from the start. No, I wasn't, man. Yeah. I was a proper amateur. I was not amazing. But what I definitely was from the start was different. Mm -hmm. There was nobody doing what I was doing. And it just made me stand out. And because there, it had this rap element as well, it was, you know, it had a showy side to it. So... I started getting booked as a headliner quite early on. Normally, you wouldn't get booked as a headliner on, on a, a you know a comedy gig of different comedians if you were that new. So I started making money really quickly. And I know that other comics were jealous of me and whatnot. I really, being from rap, I really didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boss this game. Yeah. And that's what I did. I spent the next... Oh man, in the next sort of seven, eight, nine years, just killing that game basically to the point where by the time I quit, I was, you know, doing, I mean, I played Wembley, I played, I played the Ericsson Globe in Stockholm, it was like 12,000 people, Jane, I was making money hand over foot, but it just, after a while, it just got to me, man, that lifestyle, just living out of suitcase being on your own all the time I don't really enjoy it yeah I, I, I definitely remember one moment like and I think I was at uni at the time and it was the my proper t-rap 
and it went viral, bro. Like mm. that one, like where obviously you're on Russell Howard's Good News, mm. and um, I remember that moment, like seeing it on Facebook, just going around, just that little clip, and it's like, oh, "Have you heard of Doc Brown? Have you heard of Doc Brown?" And like for a lot of people, that would have been the first introduction. To, yeah, definitely. To who Doc Brown yeah. was, and, and was... those conversations always made me laugh when I'd overhear him because you know, you, if you had a group of ten people. All going, oh, you've seen Doc Brown. Oh, yeah, Doc Brown, the teeth thing is so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, Doc Brown, Doc Brown, Doc Brown. There'd always be one person in the tenor who goes, no. yeah, but that's not the same Doc. There was a Doc Brown before that who was a sick rapper, bruv. This bread's just like taking his name or something. Exactly. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I loved hearing those conversations. So, you know, there's, there's a handful of people and it is just a handful mm. in this country who've just followed me from the start and stuck with me and that, that's just a beautiful thing. Those people who are just like, okay, cool, he's doing comedy now, I'll check that out, boom. All right, he's doing some acting now, boom. He's writing a book, I'll, I'll read that. They're just with me, okay. you know? And then the rest, like, they come and go or they only like one thing I do and it's, it's absolutely fine, you know? I, I, I do it for the love of doing it and if people enjoy it as well, that's great. But I've never been that guy who's like, oh, how come you don't like me doing comedy? You like me doing rap, do you know what I mean? Yes, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm acting in a serious drama now. You should respect it. You should, you should come with me for the ride. I don't, my bruv, it's like people want, people have different things that they're into, isn't it? So for me, it's like I, I really love those few, few people who stick with me no matter what I do. Mm. But I, I just, I'm just so surprised always when there's people interested in stuff that I've just made up. You know, I, 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 I everything I create, I hope that everyone will love it, mm. but. Most of the time, I think, oh, I just hope this isn't shit. You no, know? But then even <laughs> then, like you're bringing people who wouldn't necessarily listen or be involved in one kind of aspect into a new realm by following you as well. So mm. it's like giving them, like almost opening their horizon or expanding their horizons. Someone who might not listen to any of your rap albums, who's just been into your comedy now follows you and you listen to some of your albums. And it's kind of just that vice versa, like that flip can, Definitely. can, can expand. And that's mad. You know, the, 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 the idea of, of tea, it was a very cynical decision. I, I knew that that was one thing that would cross any racial barrier, any class barrier. Do you know, the mad thing is I don't even drink tea, bruv. I couldn't give a shit. I don't give a fuck how you have your tea. You know what I mean? I drink grapefruit juice in the morning. Like... No, bro, it's like whatever. Tea lover, that's just. Ah, man, I'm. You know what I am is a writer. I'm a crea I'm a creator. That's you know, hilarious. like I have an imagination, and I I put my imagination. An, I don't even like tea. That's hilarious. No, bro, that's jokes. Um, yeah. People are like, oh, well, I have my tea like this, bro. I'm like, cool, bro. Care. Like, whatever the fuck, whatever you want to do, bro. I'm just making this money, bro. Like, you enjoy your tea. <laughs> No, but so like, no, at, uh, obviously, at the peak of all of these, like all the, the gigs and a comedy show, you were saying that the whole lifestyle started to become a bit like. Let's 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 take it back to the um, the title of this show and 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 tie it in properly because my decision to leave comedy was a, was a purely a mental health decision. It wasn't it wasn't based on uh, where I thought my career was going or. I've, you know, I thought maybe it's going downhill or it's going too fast or, you know, I wanted to do this differently or that differently. I just started to feel that that lifestyle was having a detrimental effect yeah. on, on my, 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 my well-being, you know? And there was no money that was worth damaging it any further. I, I, I think the isolation just started to kill me, man. Like, if you think about stand-up, to create it, right, you have to be on your own you need to be on your own somewhere quiet so you can write it down and then to test it out you have to go somewhere on your own and stand up in front of a small group of people on your own and and say these words on your own yeah. you know with only your voice and then you know you go home and you refine it and then you go out to a proper gig so you might have to travel 300 miles you know or you might even have to get on a plane on your own and then you're in the hotel room on your own. Then you're in the green room backstage oh, on your no. own. Then you get out on stage and everything, everyone claps. Then it goes quiet and it's silent and you're on your own telling these jokes. And then even if you kill it, yeah, it's the funniest thing anyone's seen all year. The crowd go wild. When you step off that stage, 
unless you're one of these idiots that goes and tries to fuck the groupies or get some <laughs> man love from, you know, stand at the bar getting everyone to like pat you on the back, which is just not my style. You're going back to the hotel on your ones, right? Mm. So who are you celebrating with? Like, what am I, I going to do? Like, I'm going to phone phone my friends. <laughs> just they just got it. back. Yeah, Jimmy, yeah. they just got back from their fucking job. They got to yeah. go to work again early in the morning and you're calling at midnight going, bruv, I just killed it. Like, they don't want to hear that. And then similarly, if you die up there and do terrible, you're still going back to the hotel room on your ones, yeah, just sitting there going, fuck. About it, yeah. yeah, and then you think, like, I could call my wife, but then it's like, oh, I don't want to unload on her. Like, oh, poor me. I just died on stage. Also, I made £5,000 while I was doing it. Like, do you know what I mean? No one don't want to hear that either. So it becomes this very lonely lifestyle. And I think some people are suited to it and some people aren't. Like, there's a lot of comedians... Some of them have families. They they actually like getting away from their family to go and do the work. You know, me, I, I quite like being at home, man. And I, and I miss my friends as well. And it's not like, see, when I got in the game, I was already, I was already in my late 20s. Do you know what I'm saying? So most of the uh, uh, comics I was coming up with in the competitions and that, like they're household names now, but they were like 20. Do you know what I mean? Or even like 18 or 19 getting in the game. So for them, the whole thing's a party, right? Even five, six years later, you're like 25, what? Like you just get your mates and roll on tour. None of you have got a serious job back home or whatever. You're making your pee. You're having a laugh. You can treat it like, um, like it's a band on tour. Mm. But for me now, going into my 30s, I've got two kids. My friends have got kids. They've got responsibilities and shit. I can't be like snatching up like 10 guys and, and going on the road like it's a party. And the problem was my job, my specific job at that time was to be alone. And I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. And then the lifestyle becomes unhealthy because why do you, need, you don't need to cook? Do you? There's no one to cook for. So you just get fast food. Do you know what I mean? And then you get bored, bruv. Because like, if you're on tour, you wake up in the hotel room on your J's at like nine. And then you're not back in the venue until nine. So you've got like 12, 12 hours, hours to kill and some dead, yeah, center, some yeah. dead, even if you're somewhere <laughs> some, amazing, yeah, bro. I've been good. in some amazing cities in the world, yeah. do you know what I'm saying, in Australia, in, in Asia, in Africa, like I, I've, this, this job t took me around the planet, but it doesn't matter, bro, because Tokyo with your friends is sick, <laughs> Yeah, Tokyo on your ones, it's just like, <laughs> yes. What are you going to do? Just spend all day on Instagram showing off, like, oh, look, yeah. I'm in Tokyo. Like, it's like, it's, Let's be honest now. It's, like, it's actually yeah. dead. So, yeah. you know, what I found is like, yeah, just eat more fast food. And then you're so bored. I just like have a drink and just then, then I'm just like boozing. Do you know what I mean? Like on my own. And it's like, yeah, man, this life is not the one. So I, I started really at the time I was already doing a bit more acting here and there, mainly comedy stuff, started to do a few dramas. And then as that became more regular, even though it was a huge, huge pay cut, I just thought, you know what? I need to do a nine to five for a while. And acting is much more like that. It's like a nine to five with a lot of people. You're working with a whole team, you know? So it's much more sociable, uh, you know, come home, sleep in your own bed. Uh, I, I was just like, you know what? This works so much better for me. Like looking back over that period, what's like one thing you know about like navigating the world? I'd say trying to constantly remind yourself of who you are is probably the biggest learning curve because it's like it's so easy to start thinking you're something else you know or you're someone else because of how well you're doing or how validated you feel by your success as, a, as an entertainer specifically as a performer because you know if you're a performer a live performer people love you and they show it right you know like if i'm in a drama i don't really know if people are loving it or not like maybe someone will put a comment online or something but um i could do a whole i could do five six seven tv shows without really knowing how, if people like it or not whereas with with stand-up you know you know straight away there's a thousand people there just screaming screaming for you they're loving it you know and they just can't stop so that's an amazing feeling, but it's also very dangerous because you start to think, hey, I, maybe I am the man. Maybe I am that guy. You know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a bit more special than these normal people, you know. 
And it, it, everybody feels it to some extent at some point. You can't come off stage and not feel a little bit special. Um, and that's fine. But it's when it starts to feed into everything else you do and you start thinking, hey, I can't deal with that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit too important for that. Like I'm, I'm, your life is more like normal. Mine's like abnormal. I'm strange. I'm different. I'm unique. It's a, it's a very dangerous game to start playing. And, and you don't realize you're doing it sometimes. Um, because when you crash and burn, you realize, fuck, like, there's nothing special about you. Every single person has hopes and fears and difficulties in their past and trying to be the best person they can be. Everybody's the same, man. They're just at slightly different places in their lives at any one time. So it's a case of humbling yourself and reminding yourself who you are, like who you really are, giving yourself the time to to really appreciate those feelings, um, which is very hard to do when your career is on a sort of roller coaster or on a on a fast track, you know. Mad. So I'd say that's probably the one big thing I've learned throughout everything. Mad, and obviously even in the like after the, the the kind of peak of comedy, you've gone on to like act in like like so many numerous shows. Like from we're talking like um, in between us, like Derek, um, Law and Order, Midsummer Murder, Fleabag. But then you've also written and produced some shows for CBBC and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've you know I've always like I said at the start, I'm a writer and a performer, so. You know, I've always been very conscious of intellectual property. And a lot of that uh, was inspired by, by Ricky Gervais. You know, he was always saying to me, you know, own stuff, own stuff, write, write your own stuff and own it. You know, um, it's the best way to have longevity, to make your money and to be taken seriously. So, you know, from the start, I was always trying to get my own ideas off the ground. And, and the four o'clock club for CBBC was one of my proudest achievements because Jeez. I mean, 10 years later, it's, it's still going and uh, um, to come up with a concept for television that is that popular and has stayed that popular for me, it means so much, man. Like I bump into 20 year old men and women, who were like, I grew up grown men and women who were like, I grew up, I grew up on, on, on your shit. Like I grew up with this, like this changed my life. Like this was my Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or this was, do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, that was the plan to have a show with black heroes that was just, it wasn't about race, but it celebrated blackness in, in Britain, you know, in a fun way for all the, fa all the family. And it, it wouldn't be corny, like it'd be cool, it'd be something, if you were 10 or 11 or 12, it would actually be a cool thing that you could watch on children's TV. But you don't want a BAFTA from that, right? Yeah, that was, I guess, in a way, it was kind of connected because, um, yeah, we, 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 we won a BAFTA and, and then I became quite friendly with BAFTA. So then I ended up hosting the BAFTAs here in the UK four times in a row before they Mad. retired me. <laughs> yeah. And, and during that period, BAFTA sent me out to do, um, uh, to host the Britannias. And um, that was... I'd say looking back, if if I if my career ended today, I'd say that was that was a moment I can I can just still tell my kids, my grandkids. Do you know what I mean I'll always have that up on stage, like doing jokes to Samuel L. Jackson, Jennifer Lawrence, Tom, Tom Hanks. Do you know what I mean like Jodie Foster? It was it was next level. It was proper next level. Mad. Like it sounds like, bro, like if you even looking back from like the early days where you might have been hosting the events at the the battle rap and then, like you said, hosting hosting this award ceremony, like life sometimes can take you in the maddest of journeys, man. And you can only look back and see, see where the dots had connected and stuff. I, I think when, when, when you're young, I mean, I know I did this when I was a teenager. I used to always think, oh, imagine if I could just fast forward 20 yeah. years and just, just see like, yes. not even a whole day, just like see what five seconds. Yeah. Like, where am I? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. I used to always think about that. And I have to say, you know, I, had, I always had dreams of being an entertainer or being an artist full time and stuff. But I think deep down, you know, as people always say to me, oh, you must have amazing self-belief. I, I do, but I think it's probably more developed as I've started doing work. Mm -hmm. Before I did the work, before I put the time in, I don't think I had that much belief that it would ever really happen for me, you know? And I think that's testament, if there is any message, 
to especially to young artists to you know what just f- fuck all this stuff about your brand and how you want people to view do the work do the work first just get the work under your belt even if no one's ever going to see it just do the work so that when your opportunity arises you're ready and you've already got experience you already know what you're doing because half of this game is confidence man just pretending you know what you're doing but if you actually know as well oh my god you can fly you know what are you working on now man and because obviously is there any new music coming i know you dropped stemma in 2017 i'm really hoping i can get some more music out this year actually i've just just featured on uh examples album um and uh that was so nice to come out of retirement and do something proper and it really sort of spurred me on like you know people send me beats sometimes and I thought, you know, let me actually just listen to some of these beats and see if there's any, any it makes me want to do anything more immediately. I'm like what I'm doing right now as we speak is um, finishing up my novel for Bloomsbury, which comes out in April um, next year. I think it's one of one of the best things I've ever done, actually. Um, I feel very confident about it. And then at some point, I think I probably will do a Michael Jordan and come back to comedy. But I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to be. With a few championships, go and smash it out. No. Man, like, the amount of gems and the the insight that you've dropped, like, to me, like, there's definitely stuff I'm taking away, 110, man. But before you you go, like, there's three quick questions I want to ask you. Um, So you kind of answered one of them, but it might have changed. But happiest day of your life? Happiest day of my life? Wow. Uh, I would say it was... I was in France... And um, we hired out my family. Me and my family hired out this uh, this villa, uh, and it was just there's no one anywhere near. It's just this villa in the countryside, and it had this little infinity pool outside. And um, I've never been able to swim um, ever, <laughs> and it's always annoyed me because obviously now my kids they can swim, and you're my there wife in the can swim. Line, like... Yeah, I just sit. That's what I've always done: just sit, yeah, pretending yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And my brother-in-law was like. I'll teach you how to swim in, in 30 seconds. And I was like, bro, everyone says that. And he goes, no, no, I'm telling you, I'll teach you how to swim in 30 seconds. He goes, just put this on. And he gave me one of those face masks that you use for snorkeling. Mm. And he goes, the biggest problem with non-swimmers is that they can't work out their breathing. If you don't have to worry about your breathing, you'll just float. And I was like, nah, I don't know about that. He goes, <laughs> trust me, just try it. So I put on this mask over my nose. And he goes, close your mouth. Don't worry about... Um, breathing through your mouth you're not going to stay underwater for too long he goes now just just jump in just jump in that's it and like do whatever strokes i'm not going to teach you how to do strokes you can learn that from a proper teacher i'm just going to show you how to float and i went in there and i sort of splashed about and i realized without having to take in or breathe out any breath not working that i was floating Mm. and if you are like 35 <laughs> before you float for the first time in water, it's, it is a trippy experience. It was like going to outer space. And, you know, after like three hours, all the kids are just bored of the pool. They want to go off and eat. I was just in the and pool. Just I, just, in, yeah, I was just there. I was like, no, I've discovered something new. Yeah. And yeah, I just remember sitting in that infinity pool, having learned to swim for the first time in my life. And I was looking at the kids running around, the sun just beaming down. And I just thought, rah, like, life is not bad. <laughs> Life's not bad at all. Definitely, like, worthy of the happiest day, for real, man. What's something that overwhelms you? Um, I think the responsibility of, of parenting. Uh, I just, like, most of the time, 90, 95% of the time, I enjoy it. You know, I, I had kids young, so most of my friends are having babies now, you know. And I, I look at that as not enjoyable at all. I just see these babies kind of like, nah, brother, I'm not done. Not today. I've you done know. my time. But my kids are teenagers and like, um, I love the time with them. I love hanging out with them. But what overwhelms me is the next step. So I've got two girls. So I'm, I'm just worried about them being attacked or like mm-hmm. being discriminated against or all these things that I can't control. Like them getting their heart broken. I can't control any of that. I've just got to... That sounds mad to say let it happen. I don't want to let them be attacked. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you can't be watching your kid 24-7 when they're like 21 years old. <laughs> like, yeah. you, so you've got to let them go. Yeah. And the idea of them being out in a world that is quite cold sometimes, you know, yeah. and, and, and 
them being saddened by it or hurt by it, I find that overwhelming. So I try try not to think about that too much. <laughs> no, that's real. Oh man. And final question was best piece of advice you've been given by somebody else. Oh, I had two. One was directly related to comedy, um, which was from Stephen K. Amos, um, older, older black Big. comedian. I was very much starting out and I was doing one of my first big shows. It was in Edinburgh and um, it was like a showcase of all these big comedians and then they'd have one new one. And I was like the new young one. And I was so nervous and I was only doing five minutes and, and he could see I was nervous. And um, I said to him, any advice? And he goes, just enjoy it. And I was like, oh, fucking great. Whoa. <laughs> Ask someone for some advice. They give you that. It's useless, you know. And I went out there and I didn't enjoy it because I was so nervous. And uh, I just remember thinking, that's just the shittest advice ever. But then as I got deeper into comedy, I started realizing when I relax, when I'm properly relaxed, just fully confident in my own ability, I go up there and thinking, I know what I'm doing. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. That's fine. I'll be better tomorrow. It's no big deal. I'll go home. You know, my family will still love me. My friends will still love me. I'll still make my money and tomorrow I'll go again. It's no big deal. And I go out there with that attitude and I would enjoy it so much that it made it would make the shows better and the audience would enjoy it more because they could see me enjoying it. Mm. And I thought, wow, Stephen was actually right. Just, just literally, there's no more words to be said. It's just enjoy it. And you could apply that to so many things in life. Like, And if you're not just enjoying it, then maybe there's a problem that needs addressing. So actually it was deep advice. And then the other one was more in terms of work and your career as a whole, which came from my sister. She said, okay, never forget what the job is. If you've decided what your job is, then be the master of that job. And your job can change, that's fine. But while you're doing the job that you say you enjoy the most, be the master of that, you know? And then the other thing she told me was, never underestimate the power of no. And I was like, okay, expand on that. And she said, well, in this game, there's no set fee for you. Someone might offer you a hundred pounds. Someone might offer you a hundred thousand pounds. And the hundred pounds might be for something you really want to do. And the hundred thousand might be for something you really don't want to do. But you're going to have to work out what it is you really, really want. And if you need to say no, don't be afraid to say no. So there were times when I would be offered £100 to do something I really wanted to do, but the money was derisory, so I would say no. Next thing you know, phone rings, they've, tri they've trebled the money. They've quadrupled the money. Can you do it? Can you do it? They found, they found some more budget somehow, mm. you know? Uh, or with the 100000 type deals, and it's something you really don't like, there's elements you don't like, say no. Next thing you know, next thing you know, phone's ringing again. How can we change it, Doc, to, yeah. to make it like more like something you'd want to do? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Whereas I think the thing for young artists, it's, it's in our instinct to just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to turn down anything. We, like, oh my God, like they've asked me to do this thing for the BBC. Just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. But hold on a minute, hold on a minute. What do they want from you for that? Yeah. So I think it was her way of saying like, know your worth, you know. And, no, by, and by the way, bro, I found out yesterday that your sister's Zadie Smith. Mm. Well, that's mad. <laughs> the family lineage. What is up with that, bro? That's actually mad. Like, so what? when you take that on board, <laughs> when you take that on board, who she is and what she's done, like you take that mad. advice seriously. So, man, yeah. oh, bro, that is the realest of real, man. Honestly, that, that 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 that's some like timeless advice that now we've got. Wait, do you know what? I want to try one thing. Can you hear this? Can you hear that? Sounds like rain. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. Do you want to drop a little something on it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my days. Um, geez, put, do that put me on the spot. Uh, let's see, what have I got? Jeez. That's nice. I wonder if I've got anything that will fit that. Okay, let's try it. Shall I loop it? No, no, yeah, go on. Go on. Alright, alright. Huh. <laughs> 
Oh, you thought that I wouldn't? <laughs> Entertaining what you thought that I couldn't? <laughs> Think again, yeah. Uh, yeah. Think again. All right, let's try this. See if I can remember any of it. Oh, you thought that I wouldn't? Uh, entertaining what you thought that I couldn't uh, Think again and if you thought I went Hollywood Sure you're sorely mistaken I'm purer than mineral water Pouring slaughtering Satan Hating cause I'm making dough Shaking up the status quo You just imitate the flow Man are being blatant though Change clothes, switch names <laughs> Kids say they're the god of this game Big claims You're in it for a minute So take the money and run I got my pee in comedy spitting I do for fun Verbal bullets are accurate Run bruv, run Murder rappers by accident Stung gun tongue Burn the haze And get lost in my turn of phrase My writing Burn the page And the words Earn a wage You could learn for days What I figured in a single minute Push a European whip With nothing but winners in it I don't set myself limits And never celebrate what I achieve When I get it I need more credit But don't let it get to me Give my children my legacy No one really threatens me I am where you'll never be Cloud stepping Proud London town repping Underground I was kept in Now I'm out flexing Claim platinum when the truth is that you wouldn't Bar for bar I guess the proof is in the pudding Yeah Show me the money like the junior Cuba Gooden Open nice and wide to get your mouth to fit your footing <laughs> I quit the game and all the lames got a looking I sat back, analysed everything I took in Sky One, Netflix, TV I don't, I don't need to do this bruv I just love the music bruv I just love the way the beat reacts when I abuse it bruv I just love the way that you assume that I could lose it bruv Born winner, raw spitter, you're bitter I don't need Facebook, Insta or Twitter Hashtag gangsters eat them for dinner <laughs> Come to my church, I need some more sinners Hey, that is her. Hey, bro. Hey, big love, bro. That is exactly how I wanted to end that. Man, like, hey, Doc, all the absolute love, bro. Safe, Honestly. Bro.